Welcome to the High Performance Half Hour with me, David Osgathorpe. Each week, we meet with athletes, coaches, business owners, and entertainers to discuss the high-performing habits that have led to their individual success. On the show this week, I'm really pleased to bring you two great guests. We have ultramarathon runner Nathan Fleer, who's going to share his fascinating story that saw him literally change his life overnight. And we also have Dr. Mark Slasky, a sports and organisational psychologist, who's going to help us understand the mindset of an endurance athlete, how we create behavioural changes, and how to push yourself physically and mentally to the limit. I thought this was a fascinating conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it too. Nathan, Mark, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Do you want to go first, Mark? Okay, I'll go first. Well, uh, I'm Dr. Mark Slasky, and my profession is a psychologist. Um, I generally work in the area of business psychology, so uh, trying to bring psychological insights into the world of leadership, motivation, well-being, engagement, those kind of things. But I've always had a massive interest in sport, uh, particularly performance, why some people perform better than other people or perform better on one day than other uh, other days. Um, and work with a few sports people, professional uh, athletes, um, snooker players, that kind of thing. And just, you know, trying to determine what it is that makes the difference between that sort of elite level, that high performance level and, and, the, and the rest of us who are fairly ordinary. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's me. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Mark. And Nathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, guys. I'm Nathan Fleer. I'm a GB international ultra runner. Um, and running coach. I um, I live most of the time out in Bulgaria, in the mountains in Bulgaria, training and organising run camps here. Um, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Listen, uh, I think we can get into a little bit more about what you do. Very understated there, Nathan, but we can talk a little bit more as we go. But um, I mean, this hasn't been a, a lifelong pursuit for you as an ultramarathon runner, has it? I mean, do you want to take us back about five years or so and, and what life was like for you then? Yeah, so so before I, I took up running, I um, I was relatively fit at, at a young age. I, I joined the army when I was 16, um, so I was quite fit. But I got medically discharged at uh, about nine months later. My knees were, were pretty sore. And I made the decision to, to move abroad. So then I moved to Spain. And basically, as a 17, 18-year-old lad living in the Canary Islands, um, fitness and health kind of went out the window. And I, and I just picked up all the wrong habits. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and lived a life that wasn't necessarily suited to becoming a, an athlete. Um, fast forward then 13 years, 14, 15 years, um, I'd put on quite a lot of weight. I was I was pretty close to 17 stone in weight. I'm not sure what that is in kilos. I was smoking 40 cigarettes a day, eating junk food, um, doing all a lot of wrong things, bad habits, drinking and, and other things. Um, and yeah, and then, and then I had my children and that was a, a sort of turning point for me, the birth of my my third child, really, that was when I started getting into, or my, or, or sort of just before the birth of my third child. And uh, yeah, and then just took up running as, a, as an overweight, heavy smoker. Um, and it just went from there, really. Yeah. I mean, like, I read your story and it's it's like, you know, like you said, about 17 stone, 40, 
40 cigarettes a day and then it appears that you kind of seem to sort of you know change your life overnight i mean what was it literally this, this you know the imminent birth of the third child where you thought okay i need to uh get a little bit fitter just to look after the kids or was this a burning desire for you to kind of pursue this athletic career ah uh, you know it, the athletic career was was nowhere in in the in my mind at the time it was just a case of losing weight and and becoming healthy and we'd come we were living back in the uk at the time i was i was brewing beer i, was, I started brewing my own beer um and i was having maybe four or five pints of this beer every night and obviously with that comes the the snacks doesn't it you know the nuts and the just you know all, all the, the bad stuff and it, yeah and, and we came to bulgaria that christmas Christmas and we'd lived out here five years earlier and, and friends started saying to me oh Nathan your your wife must be feeding you well you've, you've put on a lot of weight and things like this and I was thinking gosh I, have I really you know I, you just don't notice when, when it's yourself do you and and yeah when we went back then after Christmas it was literally January the 1st you know and, and I'd probably done this every year for the past 15 years before you know January the 1st I'm gonna change my life and Nothing came of it. It's just this time, I suppose something must have must have clicked, and myself and my wife, we started running together um, just to lose weight. And yeah, I just kept adding a little bit on, and it took over my life, to be honest, David. I I, I was reading everything I could get. I was really engrossed in the science of of how to improve and the nutrition and. And yeah, to a point where my my work at the time um, just lost. I had a, a sales and marketing business that just disappeared pretty much when the running turned up because I, I wasn't motivated to do anything but become a better runner. And that, and I suppose that was, I say overnight. It was in the in the in the course of a few months, you know, of taking it up and this just it consuming everything, um, yeah. which isn't necessarily a a healthy way. Um, well, that's what anything. I was just going to bring Mark in there and, and just kind of make that suggestion there. I mean, Mark, with the work that you do, I mean, is that something that you try and avoid with working with people with these drastic changes or, or you know, are you all about the sort of, you know, cold turkey approach, so to speak? What, what's your thoughts on, on integrating new habits into people's lives? Well, I, I, I think it's really, it's really hard. You know, health psychologists will tell you, you know, rationally we for example we know smoking's bad for us but it doesn't stop people doing it you know it's where's where's that extra effort come from i mean for me uh, i i once ran a marathon and i say once once and only um i'm i'm an old man now i'm in my 60s but uh i, I decided to run a marathon when i i wanted to run a marathon before i was 50 and you know i'm i'm thinking about that eighth month eight month preparation for the London Marathon you know uh never at one point did I think oh I'm going to turn this into a you know an elite athlete career and, and what amazed me about Nathan's story was that he, he was still a plodder really uh, you know no offense but he was probably still a plodder running five miles a day when he suddenly said he read this thing about the Spartathlon which is this horrendously difficult event that occurs once a year in the mountains of Greece you know and he says oh, I'm going to do that and from that moment you know um, you know everything sort of coalesced and that became his main focus he just wanted to complete this race and you know not just to enter the race you've got to be at a certain massive level that many mere mortals like 
like myself would would never even get close to. So I think that's the amazing thing in his story. I mean, I remember meeting uh, Nathan uh, when I met him for the first time. We, we spent some time together because I was intrigued about the psychology behind his transformation. Um, he said to me, you know, my wife tells me she, that I'm obsessive, you know, and I said, well, of course you're obsessive. You know, you, you kind of have to be to live this life because uh, running becomes goes in front of absolutely everything else in Nathan's life. I think you, you put it first. First thing when you wake up in the morning is, is what am I doing around my runs today? You know, how am I going to be a better athlete today? And everything else just falls away from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that Spartathlon. Nathan, am I right in saying this is, um, is it 245 kilometres in under 36 hours? Is that, is that is. what you're going for? Yeah, it is. And it's, um, yeah, and it, they, they just add a little twist as well. So every around about five kilometres, they have a, a cutoff. And then they, right. you have what they call the death bus following the, the race. So <laughs> anybody that doesn't make the, um, the cutoff on each five kilometre checkpoint, they're, they're put onto the bus, you're out of the race. So it's literally, um, you're, you're running, there's no, there's no time to stop, you know, and um, mm. it's, it's, it's a tough race. It's, it's great. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's really special. It's... Oh, it sounds incredible. I mean, like, like Mark sort of touched upon there, it's something that, you know, you have that as a goal in mind, then, you know, the running has to come first. And that, that I think, having read your story is, is a, a clear point that, you know, most people would sort of fit sport around their life but you you chose to fit life around running and running was the first and and foremost thing in in your mind then I mean where was the the shift there and and how did you get the buy-in from the family on that as well yeah I think in it, it, it it's hard because I have got three young kids and my, myself my, and my wife we homeschool our kids as well mm. um so they're with us all the time we both work from home um but it's I think yeah everyone's done that mate you know yeah. they lost this that, year yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone feels your pain with yeah. uh, how how challenging that can yeah, become yeah yeah that's it everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's you know in terms of you know I, I the family come first with everything you know it's um it, it, my wife and kids because if my wife's not happy about something to be honest it throws the running off for the day because i can't yeah. if she is as, as everyone that's, that's married and got families know if if their partner or the other person's not happy um it just affects the whole thing so so my thing is i do i tend to happy get a wife happy life isn't that it's, the same? Yeah. it's true it's so true so even though the running is right up there first of all and, and i do prioritize it but i make sure that it it comes outside of family time so i i'm up at half four in the morning and i try and be back from my morning run before the kids get up so it, it doesn't affect anybody and, and it never really has affected anybody and then my evening run so i run twice a day the evening run goes when my youngest is asleep um so again it, it doesn't really affect and it, all it all it does it, it eats into some extra sleep time in the morning and maybe some some TV time in the evening. You know that's that's what I feel I've given up for running. Uh, in terms of anything else, it doesn't affect. Now, obviously, it does. I am when I'm heavily training. I'm tired through the day, or if my wife wants to do something, I can be like, oh, you know, do I have to do this? Or if there's any housework, you know. Um, so it 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 does come in the way of things like that but in terms of prioritizing it's it's trying to work everything around keeping a balance you know 
Yeah. All right. Let's talk, let's let's touch on that on the training then. So tell us what a what a morning training session sort of typically looks like for you, or what what it would look like across the week, across the month. Yeah. So so this year has been a funny year, obviously, because yeah. races have been cancelled and it hasn't been a been a goal in the diary. And to be honest with you, I, I hadn't really drunk uh, any alcohol. I was when I'd started running, I, I wasn't. I was drinking maybe one beer every three months. Wow. Like since this lock this year, I've maybe had, okay, I'm not drinking, drinking, but I'm having maybe two beers a week, um, yeah. which still isn't much. But like for me. You're back on the homebrew again. Or is I'm that... not, I'm not. <laughs> okay. But it just shows without having a goal, a clear goal, and maybe Mark would understand this better than better than we do as a psychologist, you know, just not having that goal. Um, I can see, I said bad habits. It's not really a bad habit, uh, the odd beer now and again, but it's just, just the fact that I'm even thinking about it. Because there isn't a goal. So the training this year has been a little bit different. Um, but generally speaking, I, I run for maybe 90 minutes to two hours in the morning. Um, and then another hour in the evening. And then when I'm really in peak training, it's usually something along the lines of 25 miles in the morning, which is like three, three and a bit hours. And then an hour in the evening. And then a Sunday long run of maybe between sort of five and eight hours. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> okay. And he, is that, he talks so nonchalantly about yeah, it, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. just five or eight hour run, you know. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting thing there about the motivation as well, Nathan. About um, without that goal, without that race to run towards, where do you, where do you see the top of your mountain, and how do you get there? You know, and, it, and then it's very easy to fall off. And but I remember um, it, it, it reminds me of. Um, uh, uh, well, how how different people use different motivators, you know. So yours would, might be a running event, so I want to get there. Uh, and I remember Daley Thompson. Uh, you, you'll probably remember him from from yesteryear, uh, uh, yeah. decathlete, you know, back in the 1980s, and he won the um, Olympic gold medal in decathlon in 1984, I think, in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, uh, you know, fantastic athlete. It was when, it was at also at a time when you know we could we could name British gold medal winners on one hand, not like today. Um, but one of the things he's famous for saying is that he had this massive rival German guy called Jürgen Hins- Hingsen, who was a world record holder. He'd won all the championships in the previous Olympics, and and daily just focused on this guy focus totally on this guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he had his photograph in his bedroom that he woke up to every morning and would say, I'm going to beat you. And when, when the 84 Olympics came around, I remember him saying, it famously saying, I trained twice on Christmas Day because I knew Jürgen would only be training once. And it was that, you know, is that he used somebody else as the motivator. And, and, and I think we can, you know, we can use various different things as motivators. It's not just about saying about a race, uh, it might be focusing on on a person, isn't it? Rocky also sort of focused on beating his opponent uh, rather than winning anything specific. Yeah. Anyway, no, I, th- I think that's a really good point actually you brought up there, and I think it is. You know, with um, you know, especially at this time at the moment now, where where plans have kind of gone out the window. I mean, look, we're we're 
we should have enjoyed a you know a fantastic Olympics this summer, which has obviously been been pushed back to next year. And I feel that there's so many athletes out there that have had this whole four year plus kind of training goal leading up to this huge event, which which isn't there. And I think it's like, how do you? Because it's not guaranteed that this happens. It's not guaranteed that things go back to normal next year. And so it's like, how do you maintain that motivation? And I think well, we just had a brief chat before we came on here about other little projects that that you've kind of focused on which actually maybe it's a good time to kind of just just you know dive off and and tell us a little bit about that because I think that actually just there's a lot of times where you know people can either focus on what we can't do or we can look at what we can do instead and I think what you've kind of put together with with your virtual run program sounds fascinating I'd really like to you know share that with with the audience if you're happy with that Nathan. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Back in back in April uh, or March. So, when I met um, Mark out in out in Goa, things looked very different. We 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 spent the winter out in India last year, um, and we got back to Bulgaria a couple of days before they they locked the country down completely, um, and they quarantined the little town we live in, Bansko, which is a ski resort in the winter. And it's where we have our running holidays. We bring people here for our running holidays in the summertime. They literally quarantined the town. So the whole town, you couldn't get in or out of this town. And we're stuck here. My coaching business is looking a little bit iffy because nobody wants to take on a on a running coach when races are being cancelled. Um, my existing clients are saying, look, you know, we want to put a pause on things because our races are cancelled, which is understandable. Um, our running holidays, we had to cancel them all. Um, and our event, our, our race that we organise every year, ultra marathon in Wales, we had to cancel that. So we were sort of scratching our heads, like, what, what are we going to do for money, for income? And we thought, let's put this, this virtual race together from Land's End to John O'Groats, so the length of, of Great Britain, of the UK. Um, and we, we will get people to, to sign up and we might get a, a few hundred people and it'll help motivate them. It was generally aimed at the people within our circle, um, the people that enter our races and, and that sort of thing. And and yeah, like we're six months later or seven, eight months later, and we've got now thousands of people have signed up for these virtual events and it's now become a, a business um yeah and we've got we've got companies getting in touch with us corporations asking if they can take our software and use it for their staff to help motivate their staff and um yeah it's 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 really great we've we've sort of gone from having scratching our heads what we're going to do for food mm-hmm. to now having this this business that's uh, pretty much taken over you know i think it's great i think it's like one of those things where you know i mean i look at you know your ultra marathon running i mean the the thought i mean i have i myself have done a, a couple of marathons and like you mark it was almost like get over the line i've ticked a box um let's let's never speak of that again kind of thing you know um, yeah. but i'm completely in awe of people that you know will go you know push their body to the extreme in the, in the way that you have i i kind of you know i think but how are you breaking it broken it down with the virtual event you know you're running what 800 eight, 900 miles or whatever across a certain amount of time i think for people to you know you you're you're then uh appealing to people of all 
you know, abilities, ages, etc., to be able to kind of complete that distance in the time that's right for them. I think that that's great. That's yeah, great. If it, kind of... um, it, it works because we, we, the, 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 the range of people we've got is huge. We've got like a 90 year old lady doing it. Great. We've got people doing it with their kids. And, and, you know, you've got young kids, eight, nine, and they, they go out, they run a mile a day. They come home, they log the mile and then they move along the map one mile, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> and it's, and it's amazing because, this was during lockdown we launched it. So people have lost, same as I have, and, and a lot of us, with all aspects of life, we lose a little bit of motivation and things are looking gloomy. And, and it's, we get emails all the time. You've, you've changed our lives. We get pictures right. of before and after. People have lost so much weight from doing it. And, and we, me and my wife, we're sitting here. We're like, wow, this is just us. We've created this, just the two of us. Mm. And it's really special. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's great to create uh, a business from nothing but i think receiving those those emails from people that they they really have changed their lives they're saying like look this is this has been amazing for us and uh yeah it's cool it's it's really nice it really is i think it's great and i think what what i like about that i mean like you know i'm in a similar field to you from the coaching perspective and whilst you know nothing really beats that you know human contact and actually physically um working with someone on a one-to-one kind of level or you know face-to-face level i think if you can still impact you know um people in a virtual capacity and i think like you've said you know i think you said you're up to about twenty thousand people now you know that that isn't physically possible on a you know face-to-face level in you know in, in impacting so many different people so i think like there's so many positives that, that you can take out of this and maybe given the circumstances this this may not have arisen had the the pandemic not hit in so you know there's and i guess you probably got one eye on on what do you do when the knees kind of pack in you know at some point or whatever is is that on your mind at this moment yeah, you know the the coaching is um is a big part. There's there's not much. There's not very little money in uh, in running altogether. But in ultra running, it's uh, it's pretty non-existent to be honest, David. That's not, that's why we I probably still win races because I think if the money comes, the, the, the Kenyan guys will get involved, <laughs> and that's that's the end of it. You know, um, so so you know it, there's, there's very little money. The prize money is small sponsorship money is very small so um the the coaching is where my income is and of course you know i I pick up more coaching clients based on my own results so if i do quite well it just turns out i i i get more clients so yeah with the running itself ultra runnings you know mark said earlier you know initially i was a, a plodder in some ways, I still am a plodder because you can still you can run these ultra marathons quite slowly, um, and people are still running them in their sixties and seventies. And whether I can still be competitive at that age is is a different thing, of course. But I'd like to think I can keep keep running, but for a long time yet. Well, I mean, if you know, obviously, like you touched upon there, maybe the the financial rewards aren't there. But what I mean, what do you use as a motivation? And when you're, I don't know. 200k into a 245k event where where are you at mentally i mean how do you describe how do you kind of just get in that moment and kind of you know uh deal with those aches and pains that maybe having or or the fact that you've covered such a distance and you've still got you know 
more than a marathon distance to go how, do, how does that mentally sit with you in that yeah, time it's, it's a good question it's it's the question you know and, and and it's it's it goes wrong just as many times as it goes right I think for me you know um don't be under the impression that that every time I, I'm that mentally strong that I can battle through these things because mm. quite often those demons do beat me and and I, and I drop from the race there was some races last year, the beginning of the year was was terrible. I, I I didn't, so I was representing Wales at the British 100k Championships, and it's in 100 kilometres, so 60 miles, 62 miles, and I dropped at 45 miles. Mm. So um, it just got the best. And I was being sick, but that shouldn't really stop stop me finishing. A, you know, I'm, I'm running for my country. <laughs> um, it, it, I should just be, be finishing, you know, but but I, I, I just didn't want it bad enough on the day. And then there were other races. I went out to Tennessee to run across Tennessee, um, the, the, the Vol State. And uh, that was that was always going to be tough. It was 500-kilometer race across the state in, wow. in like 100% humidity, 100 degrees. And I was – that was – I don't know. You know, I was chafing pretty, but I was bleeding the chafing, and, and obviously my my shorts were white, full of salt. So, and mm. it, this was going in the chafing. You can you can imagine. I won't get too, uh, mm. but um, but but obviously again, you you can get through that. So so you know, I like to sometimes you know I blame that. Oh, you know, I couldn't carry on, but really it was my head that went because mm. you can always push through these things if, if you want it bad enough. So yeah, there were quite a lot of these races, and then. That led me to the World 24-Hour Championships in France. Um, and then I went and won the, the open race. There. So they had an open race outside of the championships. And I needed to, to run a certain distance to qualify for the Great Britain team, which would have been for this year. And, uh, yeah, and, and I just used all those failures through the year to really motivate me to, to, to push in that one. But in terms of what the, what's motivating me, you know, I... I really don't know. I think if I was being honest with myself, it's probably to to try and be, uh, to try and be the best. Sounds sounds it doesn't sound right, but it, yeah, to try and be the best I can be. Um, but you know, it's uh, why I want to be the best I can be. I couldn't tell you. I, I don't really know. I'm not interested in the. You see, some of the younger guys, they like the sponsorship deals and the Instagram mm. and the um, you know, maybe the. But I, you know, I've. I, got my wife and three kids i'm not fussed about like sponsorships and attention and unless of course there's a, a monetary reward with it but in terms of just getting the adulation it, it doesn't really interest me so I, I don't know i don't know why why i'm focused to be the best i can be i, I don't know couldn't answer it mark have you got any thoughts on this yeah, I mean that's that's the same question, David. You know, when you when you're puking and you're chafing <laughs> and your yeah. body's screaming, you know, I want to give up. And, and and as Nathan said, your head goes. That that's the time when you really need that sort of mindset or resilience or mental toughness. There's a number of different words for it. You know, uh, one of the interesting things I think that Nathan said was that he used all the failures to, mm. to, to drive and motivate him. And, and it's true. You know, we say it all the time. You learn more from your failures than your successes. Mm. So, you know, go out and look to fail is would be the key there, wouldn't it? And then you can learn from it. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, once you've once you've been through it once, then you build on that experience for sure. And, and I mentioned in, in the article I, re, I wrote about Nathan, um, 
you know, it always reminds me of Muhammad Ali, you know, one of the, you know, obviously one of the greatest sportsmen of the last century. Um, uh, fantastic character. But, you know, he was interviewed by uh, Harry Carpenter, the BBC commentator of yesteryear uh, at one time. And, and, and he said to him, uh, Ali said, you know, um, boxing is a dangerous, dangerous sport. You know, you can get seriously hurt and injured. Um, do you ever fear getting badly injured? And, and Ali, you know, sort of reflected for a second only. And then he said, and these words always stick with me. There's a, there's a dark room somewhere in my mind where the possibility of pain and defeat exist. I choose not to go into that room. Now, now that's a very flippant thing maybe, but when you dig down, you know, from a psychological point of view, one thing we know is psychology, you can actually choose the way you think. So you can choose to listen to the voices in your head or you can choose to create your own voices. And I think at that mo- those moments at two o'clock in the morning, when you say, you know, you've got 200K behind you and another 50K to go, you know, y- your head's going to be going uh, and, and questioning. And, uh, you know, I think Nathan sort of almost taught, told me at some points, you kind of reach some points of insanity around that, you know, where you're, you're visualizing things or you're seeing things and you're hearing things. And, but to keep that mental strength and say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into that room. I can stay positive. It might sound a very simple thing, but it's a, it's a massively important thing. And, you know, not only for elite athletes, but to each and every one of us, because we're all going through our own personal, uh, I, I want to say personal hell, but, you know, it's not hell. Everyone, there are always people worse off than us right now, but, you know, um, uh, it's it's a matter of keeping that mental strength and positivity, you know, going. And, and how can we help people do that? And through these podcasts is one way of doing it, I suppose. Yeah. And it's a good thing through uh, through um, Nathan's uh, virtual running things. That's great thing. I mean, you look at um, I can't remember the name. I've suddenly forgotten the, the guy's famous guy who's doing all the breakfast telly stuff. Yeah, Joe Wicks. Um, Joe yeah. Wicks, you know, and it's not only about physical stuff, but physical physical activity is a route in to um, to to transformation and changing your life. When you, you know, when when things are really down, when you're down on your heels around stuff, you know, putting one foot in front of the other is one way you can get out of it. The the simplest and cheapest way you can get out of it. You know, do you know, I, I see it, just what, what you're saying there, Mac. I see it with my daughter. My daughter's only, uh, she's only eight. And um, and she's, um, me and my wife are like, gosh, she, she's got like, um, you know, she, she's really angry all the time. And she's really, and, and, and in some ways we think, gosh, she, she may have some, some issues here. You know, we, we should maybe see a doctor. And, you know, I take her for a run with me. We do a couple of miles together. And she is a different, and I can see it. I'm like, this, he's just a different kid for the rest of the day. Um, it's just, it's amazing because you can see it in the, in the kids. You can look and because I'm with her all day, I just see, it. I just think you're, you're just a different child. This, this is amazing. The transformation, you know, and uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said. There's so much to be said about just, just being active and, you know, to, to help with the, the mental side of life's issues, you know, and, Oh, definitely. I think there's 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 not much that um, exercise and a good night's sleep can't really sort out. You know, I think it's those two things that that cause so many issues when we we don't move enough and we don't sort of you know recover enough in that sense. Then our body's just just it likes 
you know, it likes to move, it likes to recover. And I think when we when we deprive ourselves of either of those two things, and I think particularly exercise, like you said, oh, in that an endorphin release, so people like don't get enough of that in their life. And I think, you know, when you can physically see it, you know, in people, that that's uh, incredibly powerful, isn't it? Yeah, oh, definitely. I think, I think there's a, sometimes when I'm coaching uh, in psychology, we think, I've got this idea that there's only four things that the brain thinks about. And there's only four things that we always only talk about 90, 99% of the time. And I sort of break it down to these four things called home, love, work, and health. Um, and, you know, your home might be what you do outside of work, your physical home itself, but also, you know, your passions and your hobbies and things, what you do outside of work. Love is more about the relationships, that, uh, you know, that you're in. Um, uh, your work is obviously about the work that you do. Is it fulfilling and meaningful? And of course, your health is, speaks for itself in a sense. Uh, and um, it, as I say, when people are down on their heels, when you know their home life's not very good, so there's something wrong with relationships. You know, their work—they're probably not doing stuff that they want to be doing or whatever. You, you know, you can't change that overnight. But the one thing you can do almost immediately, as I say, is put one foot in front of the other and, and, and get out and do things about your health. And of course, you know, as you rightly said, David, health is not only about, you know, going out and doing physical things, uh, you know, getting sweaty and out of breath. It's also, you know, about diet, you know, intake of water, you know, breathing properly, but that rest and relaxation is critically important to health. And, and I'm not sure many people get that right. I don't think many people have really fully got to grips with that. Um, you know, we all, I, I go, I, I've, I've read stuff that you've written and I still go to bed looking at a video on a, on the phone or something with the blue light before I go to sleep. Um, but they're all things we can do about around our relaxation and health for sure. Uh, look, I mean, it's uh, it's a constant learning experience, I think. And it is just, you know, I think like what Nathan sort of touched upon there, I think what you you realize is that, um, and this has kind of always been a familiar theme in, in all of these interviews, actually, that people come up with is that failure in some aspect of their life ends up being a, a significant driver to success. So whether that is failure in competition that pushes you on failure in, you know, failure, like your four things there, failure at home, love, work, health, failure in something forces that change and forces that action that hopefully brings about a, a positive you know, experience going forwards. I think we, we only really learn. And sometimes those things that we think are the worst things to happen i mean it sounds like you nathan with those experiences those horrendous races that you uh you just discussed there kind of actually had you not failed maybe you wouldn't have uh had had such a significant result at, at that open event yeah, after def that def definitely and, and, and i'm all for sort of embracing these these failures now and in some ways to be honest i i know before going into some of these races how, how it's going to pan out mm. in some of those failures i think i'd probably failed before before lining up at the start you know mm. it, it really um yeah you know and and the one that, that went really well last year um yeah I, I there was nothing that was gonna gonna stop me i don't think doing well in that race bar injury um yeah you know and, and like you say so is that like something you can kind of almost i don't know like bottle up for yourself or coach to others because i think like obviously it's 
I know we all have good days and bad days and whether that is, you know, uh, physical health, mental health, a number of factors that can contribute to that. But, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, like for my side of things, I think even if you're just going into the gym for, for a workout, if you're in a certain frame of mind, you know, oh, this isn't going to be the best day. Let's just get through this. Or you have those days where you're literally hitting your personal best. And you know it, like you said, before you go in there, you know that this is going to be a good day. I mean, is, is that anything that you feel you can influence prior to that day? Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I try. I, re- I really do try with with especially with with the races and, and with the coaching like you mentioned there you know with with other athletes we we try and have quite a few calls before i had um, quite a number of athletes running a, a 24 hour race in the uk last month um and it was the only race really around for some time and a couple of them were trying to qualify for the the national team a couple of them were trying to qualify for the spartathlon and with the 24 hour racing to be honest, you have to be of a, of a certain um, physiological state. You know, you have to be fit and and ready and trained. But so much of it is is psychological. Like it really is. And 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 I try and sort of speak to all the the, the guys I coach beforehand and really try to get into their heads as much as possible. Look, this is what you're going to have at twelve hours in. You're going to want to stop at least six times through that race. Hmm. You're going to convince yourself that you don't need to be out there, and that's the thing. Like we we start telling ourselves, "What am I doing here? Hmm. I'm terrible." So, so I read once that Paula Radcliffe used to think of her kids when she was suffering. She'd think of her children, and it would drive her on. Hmm. So I'm the opposite. If I think of my kids when I'm suffering, I tell myself, "You don't need to be doing this. Just <laughs> just go home and be a good dad. Forget all this." You know, and when you're 16 hours into a run and and there's nothing really at the end of it, um, <laughs> bar a little bit of a pat on the back and a little bit of glory for a day. And then that's, you know, and so it really is a, a, a battle to try and know, you know, you know, it's coming. Embrace that that pain, embrace those feelings um, and, and, and fight it because, you know, come 24 hours and you're still out there, that feeling going to be worth all those well, those horrible with fears. that is there that sort of euphoria as you cross the line or is it pure relief that it's just done yeah it, it maybe it, it seems like euphoria but it probably is relief i think it's uh it's yeah it's so the spartathlon is a little bit so so they compare the spartathlon with 24 hour running because it's a similar sort of distance it's on road um so it's not on trail. It's just a few more hills, yeah? Is a that few, right? Yeah, quite a few more hills. <laughs> but the difference is you've got a finish line. So you run to the statue mm. of King Leonidas in Sparta, wow. and it's a special finish. You kiss the, the boot of the statue. And so you've always got somewhere to get to. So it's, it's a journey. You know, you're pushing yourself to the finish. Whereas with – and when you get to the finish, there's a big crowd. It's quite a special. Yeah. You, you, you're placed an olive wreath on your head by the mayor of Sparta. And, mm. um, but with the 24-hour running, some of it's just, just round a track. So you oh, every 400 yeah. metres, <laughs> you pass the finish line. Every every couple of minutes, you're, you're passing. And at any point, you can just walk off. You're done. Mm. You know, it's there's nowhere to get to. And and so the finish is is different as well. Even you're just on the track, you know. It's just you can see everyone else the other side of you. Um, but it is. It's still special. It's special to be out there. Um, 
when they finish. And I think it probably is a little bit of elation, relief. They're so tired, you know, it's so much emotion. Um, and when I when I qualified for the for the British team, I, w- I was quite emotional at the end. It was just the last three years I've just spent trying to train for this thing. This the same as when I finished the Spartathlon. It had consumed my life for so long that when I crossed that finish line, um, the emotion can can sort of get to you a little bit. There's oh, um, psychologically, there's some. It's, it's I think it's interesting because it, when you talk about goals. Uh, there are two types of goals. There's what we call an approach goal. So that's like, I really want to do this. I'm going to go and go and go out and do this. When I cross the finishing line, it's joy. You know, you wave your hands and you experience joy. Um, but very quickly, we can turn approach goals into avoidance goals. And they're very subtly different. So the avoidance goal is, I don't want to not achieve this. So I don't want to fail yeah. in this. So when you cross that line, not only have you achieved something, you know, oh, I'm looking forward to, there's the statue, there's the, 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 the laurels around my head or whatever, that, that joy, but it's that I haven't failed and there's a relief within it. So you, it, it kind of, it's kind of understandable that you get these twin, twin emotions, one of joy and one at the same time of relief, you know, and they're, and they're intertwined in that sense. And I, can I ask a question, Nathan, because this is, this is, it's still, I'm not sure if I've got got to the nub of this. I, I'm, I'm thinking of Nathan, you know, years ago, the plodder, having running five miles. And and if I remember this correctly, you you were doing a lot of reading and you you read about the Spartathlon uh, thing, and you and you and you meet. You said to me, I remember you saying to me, I remember sitting down and you saying to me, I immediately thought I'm going to do that. And and you know, if I'd have been sitting next to you at the time, I would have said to you, what, what on earth makes you think you could achieve that? You're only running five miles. How do you move from five miles to this this huge goal with that conviction that you were going to do it? Was it sort of straight away that kind of, I'm going to do that and that's it now. I've made yeah. my mind up. So or is it like, I'd like to do that? You know, so it's kind of like, where was the, where's the real conviction in that? How did you arrive at that? I think, I'm not sure that maybe the conviction was, wasn't, actual conviction maybe maybe it was me trying to think there was conviction there at the time you know uh, um you know I, I read about the spartathlon and i thought right i, I want to do that and then very soon after i read a book by an ultra runner called dean canazas you may have heard of him he, he wrote a book called the ultra marathon man and um he was a 30 year old guy and on his 30 30th birthday he just went out for a run and ran 30 miles and um just like that. And then he, he ran some of the biggest races. And he's, he's quite a, a, a famous figure amongst ultra runners now. And yeah, so I'd re- I read that book soon after I read about the Spartathlon. And I thought, well, somebody out there has already at the age of 30, um, just just taken up this sport from nothing. Um, so why, why, why can't I? You know, it was a case of... If he can do it, so could I. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if, if you know if, if somebody can do it, then then why can't I? Why can't I just just do this? And and and, and, I, and I, as I say, I did a lot of reading, and I thought if I put the the science of this, you know, in into into practice, there is no reason that I I can't do this. Okay, there's there's a, quite a, a possibility that I won't be able to do as as fast as I may have run some of these races or the distance that I've run in 24 hours. But I thought if I put this science into practice, there's no reason I can't run for 24 hours. Um, you know, we, we, we have evolved to run. Um, 
and obviously there's there's a little bit of luck as well because you've got to stay injury free. That's you know, mm. um, it's 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 all right to be blasé about it. Oh yeah, we can all do it. But I have got lucky in that I haven't been as injured as perhaps some people would. So so there's an element of luck. But I think if you, if you put the work in and you and you do what you're supposed to do, um, there's a lot more we can we can all achieve. Oh, listen, guys, thank you so much for today. This has been fascinating. I think it's something that, um, you know, I, I just to kind of understand the the mindset of um, an ultramarathon runner and, and, and someone, like you said, that, that's maybe kind of taken it up and changed their life. And it's a fascinating story that you've got there, Nathan. I think, you know, and what you've kind of set up with the, the virtual run is just, just incredible. And Mark's been really good just having your um, input on, on everything in on here. Guys, I, I've really enjoyed this. I think if we could possibly follow this up um in the new year uh there's one or two things that i I want to speak to you both individually on and i think um if we can if we can look to catch up again that would be fantastic definitely it's been it's been great thank you thank you guys